to sabotage me before I got started. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, um, if you remember where we were last week, um, we talked a lot about kind of the underpinnings of what critical race theory was. And we're going to do a little one review slide, but there's a lot to get to tonight, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on review. But um, I think it's important for us to remember as we begin, um, and, and just to kind of throw this out there for everybody, maybe if you weren't here last time, these are different kinds of Bible studies. I think it should be considered a Bible study, but it's not normal Bible study. <laughs> we're we're going to talk a lot about history and philosophy and all of these things. But the reason we're doing that is because it is tied to the gospel. So the title of, of the study was Critical Race Theory and Enemy of the Gospel. And we talked about the scripture that tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And this is um, probably, probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest strongholds that there is in this nation as far as our culture and enemies that the church faces in the culture um, if it's not this specifically it is then kind of the underpinnings of it that has cost our culture quite a great deal uh, in the last you know 15 15 to 20 years especially uh, goes back really 30 years but but in the last 15 to 20 for sure so that's kind of where we're at so we do want to review just a little bit about where we were last time. We've looked at the origins of CRT, and we said those were found in Marxism and critical theory, those two things. One thing that I did not, I kind of failed to do last week. Um, last week, I forgot my notes. So I had the slides, but I didn't have my notes. So I was just kind of going off the cuff there. So I did forget a few things. One of the things I forgot to really point out is how critical theory came from Europe to the United States. How that actually happened was it went from Frankfurt School. You remember Lukacs uh, that we talked about quite a bit, Dr. Lukacs. He, he went from Frankfurt School to Columbia University. And so you can thank Columbia University for critical theory really getting a home in the United States. How that happened was it was, it was actually in the lead up to World War II, Hitler closed that school and said, you got, you got to get out of here. We're done with this. You're out. So then he, he came to America, to Columbia University, and found a home in Columbia University. So that's how that first we had Marxism, then it went to critical theory. Critical theory then comes across the ocean into higher education in America. Tonight we're going to go the next two steps. So believe it or not, there's two more. Um, you have Marxism, critical theory, which then turned into critical race theory which now really has morphed into intersectionality. Critical race theory is still talked about quite a bit, but it's, it's rarely talked about in isolation anymore. It really has become more a conversation about intersectionality, and we'll get to what that means as we go through this. So uh, before we jump in, though, to all of that, I think it's important for us to remember something. When we talk about race, we're going to talk about race quite a bit tonight, a lot more than we did uh, the other night because now that's basically what's going to happen is race is going to get infused in what we talked about last week um, in the critical theory so when we talk about race what is a biblical view of race this is the best scripture i can come up with you for a biblical view of race so god created man in his own image 
In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Black people are made in the image of God. Um, Asian people are made in the image of God. Hispanic people are made in it. We're all made in the image of God, and we all have one father, Adam. That's what we believe that the Bible teaches. Now, there are differences among races. There's no doubt about that. But from a Christian perspective, what the Bible teaches us is that there's just not to be partiality. You can go to James chapter 2. I was going to put that one on here too, but I left that one off. Um, and, and so that's when we talk about race from a biblical perspective, we need to understand that God created the human race in his image. And it's the human race when we talk about race. And that as far as we're concerned, there should just be no partiality. Um, that's, that's just, for the younger ones, that's just a word, really, you know, we use the word racism, but the Bible calls it partiality, so we're not to have that. Now, um, jumping into what CRT really is. So, this guy is Derek Bell. He is the father of CRT, and he's a legal scholar here in America. Uh, in the 1980s is when he began to develop uh, this system, it was a legal system, legal framework that he came up with um, and titled it Critical Race Theory. Um, he criticized his employer, uh, Harvard Law School, for exclusionary practices. He was, he was at Harvard Law. And he went so far as to even resign his position there to protest their lack of hiring female faculty of color. And we're going to come back to him we're going to kind of jump into that first, but I want to introduce the whole cast while we're here. This is Kimberly Crenshaw. She's at, guess where? Columbia University. Columbia University. So if anybody here gets scholarship at Columbia University, don't take it. You probably would because that would be a lot of money. But it's it's very liberal place. She's credited with, credited with the creation of intersectionality. So she's going to take his work and then move that even farther forward. So... Let's go back to Derek Bell, the beginnings of CRT. Like I said, he criticized his employer and basically because they weren't hiring enough people of, of color. And he was, as, a, as he was going through that, the protest got worse and worse. He eventually resigned. And then shortly after that's when he begins to publish this, this legal framework of how they can deal with that through critical theory. Now... So when we say critical race theory, how do we define it? What is it? So that's a really difficult thing to say. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Um, I'm going to define it for you. We're going to even get an academic definition here in a second. But really, it, it's very hard to zero in on exactly what critical race theory is. So for a philosophy that is so popular right now, that's pretty new. Okay, 1989. Uh, when you talk about ex existentialism, you know, you got to go way back. All these big philosophies, you got to go way back. All these ancient philosophers. We're talking about 1989. So a lot of people in here were alive uh, when this was, was made up. Um, opined as America's legal system is inescapably racist. So it's, it's, it's one of the key parts of CRT that I want you to keep in mind through the whole thing. This is not a problem necessarily because problems can be solved, right? Um, something that is, is just a problem, you can fix it. They are saying from the beginning that this is an unsolvable issue, that America's legal system is inescapably racist. You can't fix it. 
Uh, it argues that perceptions and experiences of the world are determined by one's position in the race structure of society. Now, what this reminds me of, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this example out there. If you've ever heard Brother Guna talk about the caste system in India, it reminds me a lot of that. It's kind of like, okay, well, you're born into a caste, and that's just where you are. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't improve yourself. You can't move up to another caste. You can't, there's nothing you can do. It's just where you are. Kind of similar to that when it talks about that race structure of society. So now I told you I'd give you the, the legal uh, definition. So this is kind of the academic, in the, in the legal world, this is what they would say the definition of CRT is. It's uh, CRT embraces a movement of liberal scholars, most of them scholars of color, situated in law schools whose work challenges the way in which race and racial power are constructed and represented in American legal culture and more generally in American society as a whole. That last phrase is important because here's what they're doing. They're taking something that kind of started out as a theory in law school about the American legal system and they're going to apply it generally across the whole society. So uh, that's, that's one of the keys and why I wanted us to really look at that particular defi definition is because what it's basically saying, and you'll hear me do um, one of the people that I studied on this, the primary person that I studied to do this study, uh, her name is Miki Addison. She is with the American Family Association. She does a presentation on this all over the country. So she would give the Miki definition of the other definition, or this is her and, and she's a, a female of color, so you know, she can kind of say things in a way that we might be a little nervous to say it. So sometimes she just kind of boils it down to this is what they're really saying. So this is what she said about that definition. She said, what this means is that America is racist. From the beginning till now, America is systemically racist, including our legal system and the general society as a whole. So that's the idea of, of CRT. It's it's. What they did, and so this is kind of the idea that Derek Bell had. He said, okay, we already have these, these grievances and these issues. And so now I've been invited in to this group of people who are studying critical theory. And he's just, you know, it's, it's just like, okay, well, perfect. Because this structure of critical theory allows us to look at what we have already determined as racist and be able to do that with just anecdotes and stories, and then we can call that science. So in other words, we don't have to have statistics, we don't have to have proof, we don't have to have anything. Critical theory will allow us to use narrative science uh, instead of um, actually you know, proving it with statistics and other things. So that's kind of the, the merger that happened there, and we're going to get into that in just a minute on how that happened. Now, some people will tell you, and before we go any further, before we get away from the history of it too much, um, they'll, they'll say that, well, I do agree with CRT, but I'm not a Marxist. I would never have anything to do with anything that's Marxist. I, don't, I, I think it's wrong that you call this Marxist. We've established that, I think, at this point, okay? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well established. You cannot separate critical race theory from Marxism any more than you can separate critical theory from Marxism. It is just a, a progression of the same ideas uh, using different, different terms and, and different ways to approach it. So what we're really seeing today is a new packaging of critical theory. Uh, they'll use race as a tool to show and to say that our institutions are bad, 
and must be overcome or toppled. What does that sound like? I mean, if you were here last time, they said, okay, we're going to take the proletariat against the bourgeoisie, and we're going to say these, we're going to set the, the haves and the have-nots against each other, and we're going to use that tension to then topple the institutions, and we're going to have revolution. That was Marxism in a nutshell. So now we're just saying we're going to use racial tension to then separate people against each other, and we're going to topple the institutions. It's, it's really just a repackaging of the same thing. So don't let people say that, um, that it's not Marxist. All right. Now, the idea of CRT, we just talked about this structure, allows them to look and see what they've already determined is racist and do this with anecdotes and stories, call that science. These are the new Marxists, and remember what Marxism's all about. You've got an oppressing class and an oppressed class. And so that's what they're setting up. They're, they're, you're going to hear us talk a lot tonight. We didn't do it a lot last time about oppressed and oppressor. That's really, you're going to see a lot of that today. That terminology starts coming to the front when you begin to talk about critical race theory. Now, this is kind of how the progression went. We're going to go back and kind of see. I, I'm, I'm going and filling in the blank between critical theory and critical race theory. So critical theory has been around for a while. It's just there. Um, you've got a predominantly white liberal scene in law schools. There's all these liberal lawyers, and they kind of, they're, they're studying critical theory, but it's not critical race theory. It's just critical theory, and you can see who it was made up of, you know, a lot of counterculturalists, people like that, intellectuals, oppositionists, and then um, they have a conference on critical legal studies, and kind of invited in some other people. So that's where, that's the, the blank in between the two. Now, when we say that, so they invite these people in, and they're talking about critical theory, it's going to morph into something called critical race theory. Now, I, I kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but one of the difficult things about it is if somebody tells you, do you believe in critical race theory, and you say no, they might be shocked because what they're talking about is just racism. To some people, they really haven't studied it. They don't know what they're talking about. They might just say, oh, well, if you don't believe in critical race theory, you're just a racist. You, know, you, don't, you don't support uh, people of color or you don't uh, support um, fairness, inequality. They don't really understand what they're saying. Um, you're going to get a lot of different versions of it. Um, so one of the ways that she describes this here is that you really need to add on the end of it, this is what critical race is, to me. There's so many different definitions. Uh, some people think they support it, but they don't understand what you're seeing in this whole study of where this came from, what the end goals of it are, what the origins, the purpose, and I think the intents really are important too, and the tenets of it are as well. So remember we talked about that little, there's that little middle period in the 70s and all these critical theorists are they're still studying critical theory. They're trying to implement it, but they really can't zero in on anything. They just can't get traction. Nobody's buying it, basically. Well, in the 1980s, black scholars were welcomed into the critical theory circle, and that was a mistake for the critical theorist because it ends up kind of blowing up their movement and starting a new movement that actually does get traction. So I love the way she said this. She said they came in. They said, great, we're happy to be here. Now what are you going to do about your race problem? And they didn't have an answer for that. So the critical race theory movement 
actually was started at a workshop at a critical legal theory conference. That's what happened. They got together. They start talking about critical theory. People start questioning, well, what about race? How's race involved in this? And then the next thing you know, there's, there's new things coming out about how this is connected to race. So when we say that people don't understand CRT, this is something that's really important. What are the aims of CRT? Like I said, what is its goal? What is it, what is it trying to accomplish? Well, you know, some people would tell you if you just walked up to somebody in the street and said, hey, what is critical race theory and what is it trying to accomplish? Well, it's trying to accomplish equality for people of color and, and you know, just equity in the marketplace and all of these things. That's really not the truth. So what are the real aims of CRT? And this is a quote from a, a journal on CRT. With its explicit embrace of race consciousness, that's going to be a key term, race consciousness, CRT aims to re-examine the terms by which race and racism have been negotiated in American consciousness and to recover and revitalize the radical tradition of race consciousness among African Americans and other peoples of color, a tradition that was discarded when integration, assimilation, and the idea of color blindness became the official norms of racial enlightenment. Now, that's difficult. That's um, a lot to unpack. So, so what are they really saying here? Well, what they're really saying is that because of the consciousness issue, this race consciousness, we want to be sure that everyone is aware of their color. This is not something that needs to go away, okay? In other words, if you remember a time, I do, um, not that long ago, so maybe late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there, was there a lot of just really vitriolic talk about race in America? No. We had kind of moved past, I mean, you can't say we moved past it. You can't. But for the most part, the society had become, the, the ideal was colorblindness. We don't care what color you are. You can be whatever color. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're just part of American society. You're an American. So that was true, and that's what they're saying here is that we've got to remind people that race is of utmost importance, that you can't forget it and be colorblind. We want race consciousness. We want that to be a key part of who you are and how you see yourself and how you see the society. The ideal of colorblindness is when we don't see color. So I'm not going to make judgments on you based simply on your skin color. That sounds like a good thing, right? I mean, wouldn't we as Christians say that we shouldn't judge other people based on their skin color? I think that's a great ideal. They're saying that's completely wrong. That's wrong. You should judge people based on their skin color. It's, it's really kind of hard to grasp that this would be one of the ideas of CRT. But so, so instead, CRT wants us to get back to race consciousness, which is being aware of your color. And if you're white, you should be a little bit uncomfortable being white. And if you're black, you must be aware that you've been oppressed and have a right to something that's been denied you regardless of your situation or life circumstances. So now, that's a, that's a Mickey Addison quote, I want to tell you. She's the one that said that. And this is what she said about it. She said, I'm talking about LeBron James and Oprah Winfrey. They need to understand that they have been denied certain things in their life because of the color of their skin, that they are oppressed people. So it has nothing to do with your, I mean, how much money does LeBron James have? 
It's a lot of money. I don't know. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. How much opportunity has that man had in this country? A lot of opportunity. A lot of opportunity. So it's, it's not based on your skin color. Um, you know, it's, it's, we would say, you know, we want everybody to just look at people as people, but they're saying, no, you can't do that. You must be conscious and aware and, and be, um, be just always thinking about color in all of the relationships that you have. So now, the, the, the meeky summary for that one is never forget race. Filter all things through that lens. So now that's not a world that I would want to live in. Uh, that's, that to me is racism. It's kind of the opposite. It's, it's not that we're guarding against racism. is that we're trying to actually bring it back. Now the next, the next quote tells us kind of one of the objects of this as well. The task of CRT is to remind us how deeply issues of racial ideology and power continue to matter in American life. So see, we need to be reminded. We had kind of forgotten it, and we were, we were moving into a post-racial America. Did you remember anybody saying that during Obama's presidency, the early parts of Obama's presidency? They say, okay, now we've had a black president. You know, things seem to be somewhat. We are moving into a post-racial America. Well, what CRT says is we're going to remind you that that's not true. We'll never get to a post-racial America. It's not possible. Uh, there is no solution to this problem, so it's never going to happen. Um, how deeply the racial ideology and power continue to matter in American life. So now we haven't talked about the church a lot yet, and we're going to talk mostly about the church at the very end, but I wanted to bring it in right here. So if this is true, how does this impact the church, or how would this, how would this limit the church if race has to be an issue, if it has to be brought up, if it has to be something that we continue to keep the lens on? How does this limit the church? Well, only oppressed people are able to speak or work on this issue. And oppressors are all lost causes. You can never become a non-oppressor. So even if you try to understand and or work on the situation, so if your church wanted to work on that, anything you do would be tainted with inherent racism as an oppressor unless you turn that over to oppressed people. So it really kind of puts, puts you in a bind on how do you deal with this moving forward. Now, when we talk about this race consciousness, how many people heard the term woke? You know, like woke politics or woke, I'm a woke person. Um, people talk about ESPN being woke now, which is probably very true. So woke means one of two things. Either you're awakened to the truth that you're an oppressor or you're awakened to the truth that you're oppressed. So this consciousness we're talking about, racial consciousness, they said we had lost that and that people had kind of fallen asleep on that. So for you to be woke, you need to kind of understand. So if you're a, a, um, a white person in America, you need to be awakened to the reality that you're an oppressor. And if you're a person of color, you need to be awakened to the reality that no matter your situation in life, you are oppressed. And so that is why you see the big push to indoctrinate faculties in higher ed and especially in K-12 education in schools of America, they want to awaken the next generation. They want to ingrain this philosophy in their head early. You remember the quote that I, I read you last time about how that they even studied the mind and how, how before um, 
before the age of 12 how that minds are so much more impressionable and that's when we need to get this in so that's what the the idea is we're going to get everybody woke early on in their education so that they accept this uh, for the truth now we we mentioned this before but i want to unpack it a little bit more what's where's the proof of this so if you start saying okay i'm going to take this seriously just as a a thinking person i want to give this its due diligence so I'm going to invite somebody who believes in critical race theory to come to my house, and we're going to sit down, and I want them to prove to me, I want them to show to me how CRT is true. So how are they going to do that? Um, the methodology is the science of narrative or storytelling. So when they declare that all our institutions and social structures are racist to the core and they must be torn down, and then you ask them for the evidence, okay, well, prove that to me. How do you make this case? What they're going to respond with is personal experience, stories from the past, and narrative examples of supposed, and I think this is really important, or real oppression. Do you think oppression does exist in the world today? Absolutely. It surely does. And it surely does even in this country. There are oppressed people in this country. There's oppressed people in other countries. So it may not all be, we don't need to you know, placate this and say, oh, it's just all made up. It's not. There is real oppression. But they're going to use those stories and apply them broadly across the whole thing, making that the truth. So this science of narrative uh, is what they're going to say. Now, just to kind of sum up what CRT is, and this is the hard one. I'm going to, I think you'll actually understand intersectionality a little easier than critical race theory when we get to that. But CRT states that race is socially constructed. This social contract functions to maintain the interest of white people who construct it. So the whole system in America is just designed to oppress people. That, that's really the, the basic view of it. We are not and can never be post-racial. That's really important. And U.S. laws are biased against people of color. That's the basic tenets that started out in the 80s and then have since been slowly kind of pushed out into the society. One thing I think is really interesting is it did take a long time for this to happen because you talk about 1989 and really when you really start seeing this show up in a big way in the culture was really about 2015 to 2019 is when you really see it start showing up a lot in a big way in the culture so it took them a while to make that last leap so now CRT we kind of wrap that up now I'm going to be honest that's a difficult discussion especially for a church do we have anybody of color here tonight? <laughs> no. Uh, everybody in this church is Caucasian. Um, it's, it's a difficult discussion. It's something you have to be very careful when you discuss with other people. Um, it can, you know, lead to accusations of racism and, and all of those kinds of things. So I think it's something we have to deal with very carefully. But I think the truth is also really important. So that's kind of the summation of CRT. And now we're going to get into intersectionality. How many people think you know by show of hands, don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many people think you have a pretty good working knowledge of what intersectionality is? You've heard the term, you know what it is. It's not fair because Becca went to the conference, so she knows it. But it, it's not something you hear really kind of just put out there directly, I think. Um, depends on what circles you're in. I hear a good bit about it in education now, um, but that's because they're trying to push it in education a lot. But 
probably if you're just an average citizen, you don't hear, you're going to hear critical race theory mentioned more like on the news and things like that than you do intersectionality. And some people actually say they're the same thing, but they're really not. So, all right, so intersectionality compared to CRT, but it's different in some key ways. And the first one is it is distinct. So, and we'll, you'll know that in just a minute when you see kind of what it is. So it is not the same as CRT. It says while that people are oppressed by racial structures, they are also oppressed in ways that overlap. So you want to know what, how they came up with the term intersectionality? It's the intersection of different points of oppression, okay? So they basically took a really good idea from those who were applying critical theory to race and said, we can apply this all over the place, okay? There's going to be all these different intersecting points of oppression that are going to overlap in certain people. So um, I'm not going to read the rest of that slide. If you can read, uh, you can read that. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read that, but you, you can read. And then um, that's where it got started, and you can understand why now that they're going to apply this in a different way. So they're going to take their agenda and apply it with this, this other. So if you meet a person and, and you believe in intersectionality, if you meet a person, they're not just a person, okay? To really understand them, you're going to have to understand all their points of oppression, so there's many different intersecting points that determine their level of oppression. And the conference that we went to, that Beck and I went to, this, this Mickey Addison, it was funny. She said, this has become a hobby of mine. She said, so I go somewhere, I go to a basketball game or something, and I'll say, okay, that person right there, how many, how many ways is this person oppressed? And she'll just start trying to name all the different ways that she can figure out that that person is an oppressed person. It's not funny, but, but kind of funny. So the key to intersectionality is that we look at all those different intersecting points, and not just that, but how they overlap, how they affect each other. So it gets pretty complicated. So in any given setting, I'm not going to just be one thing. I'm going to be the overlap of all my oppressed categories. So as we said earlier, Kimberly Crenshaw, she's the, the lady who really came up with this intersectionality, began to talk about it. Um, this is a quote from her. Because the intersectional experience is greater than the sum of racism and sexism, any analysis that does not take intersectionality into account cannot sufficiently address the particular manner in which black women are subordinated. So here's what she's saying. She said, okay, CRT was a good start. It is true to her that race is an issue that causes you to be an oppressed person. But she said, unless you take all the different ways that that person might be oppressed, you're not even beginning to scratch the surface. So I'll take the easiest one right away is what she uses in this quote. It says, not just a black person, but a black woman. So this person would be double oppressed because not only are they a person of color, they're also a woman. So women are oppressed and there's race and then the point of intersection would be a black woman who's basically double oppressed. That's intersectionality. So that's a real simple example. It can get way more complicated than that. So Columbia Journalism, here we go again. I mean, I'm telling you, don't go to Columbia University. Columbia Journalism Review in 2018 uh, by an author named Perlman. When Crenshaw was discussing the intersection of race and gender, others took their own identities 
and discussed how their pieces overlapped, whether those pieces were physical ability, race, ethnicity, gender, nationality, politics, citizenship, or socioeconomic status. Now, here's the bad news. That's not a complete list. There's more. I mean, documented, undocumented, they've added that to the list, uh, and we can go on and on and on and on. So all of these different things, you have to know all that about the person and then see how all those things intersect, and then, therefore, you know how much that person has been oppressed. So that's, that's basically the idea of intersectionality. So how does this affect the church, and, and why is it important to the church? Well, 2019, up until that point, there were some churches in America that had kind of already adopted this, but not in a major way, up until about 2019. 2019 is when you began to really see some unusual things happen in some unusual places in the church regarding CRT and intersectionality. Um, the terms had become so normal in society that a lot of church members were using the terms, and it became more normalized. So churches had to kind of start dealing with it, and the church kind of got pulled into it. And honestly, that last phrase I think is really important. Heartstrings were pulled and emotions took over. So if you're a Christian person, and we go all the way back to slide number one, what did we say that we believe about people? That people are created in the image of God. We're equal. You know, that, that there's no... God doesn't look at a, a white person or a black person differently. They're, they're both human beings. So when the church was kind of accused of maybe there being racial bias in the church, it pulled heartstrings. People said, I don't want to be a racist. You know, I, I don't, look, what do we got to do? And so, well, CRT has the answers for you. You need to admit that you're an oppressor. You need to admit that the church has oppressed. You need to admit that your religion is oppressive. And believe it or not, some people took the bait. And they said, you know what? The church is oppressive. Our faith is oppressive. So if you don't think it impacts the church, and why are we studying it here at a church tonight, that's why. Um, it, it really was kind of sad. The infamous Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention adopted June 2019. So in June of 2019... This resolution was adopted that stated that CRT and intersectionality can be used as a framework by Southern Baptist churches as analytical tools to arrive at decisions. Now, is that not amazing? Now, I know we're not Southern Baptists, but, you know, other than Arminianism, we're pretty close. And they're Baptists. They are Baptists. And this is their big convention, and that was adopted. Now, there's a backstory to that. So that's what the little red part, and so I'll just summarize it for you. So basically what happened, this pastor, Stephen Feinstein, he, he actually had a very good resolution that he put forward. And his resolution said, we need to renounce this stuff. This stuff is dangerous, it's wrong, it's bad for the church. We need to come out with a strong statement against this stuff. So he wrote a resolution and turned it in. Well, because of all the political pressure, the committee that approved resolutions that year was chaired by a uh, pastor of color and the committee was there were I think there was one white male two white females and all the rest were either um, male or female people of color and there was kind of an agenda on this so they took his resolution and turned it and said we're not going to approve CRT as a worldview, but it is a useful analytical tool for the church to kind of see how racist we are 
So, so they kind of, it's not fair to him. He, he, he kind of got some blame for it, but he wanted to renounce it, and they kind of twisted it on him. And, and that's where it ended up getting, um, getting approved. So then we come to this question. Anybody ever heard that quote before? Tertullian. What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? That's a very good question. And we, in the church, there's never been a generation, I, I, I don't know of one, that has not struggled with that question. So what is that question saying? It's basically saying, how does, what does the church have to do with secular philosophies? And what does the church have to do with things that are not of the scriptures? And, and how, do, how does the church interact with society itself? What's the, what's the relationship there? Um, I'd love to give you a one-sentence answer. <laughs> because if I could, I'd be rich. I could write a book and, and I'd be rich. It, it, it's a difficult thing. And the church struggles with this in every generation. So then when we apply it directly to this current situation, does the church need critical race theory and intersectionality? Is there something beneficial there that we can glean? Because that's basically what the Southern Baptist Church said. They said, look, we don't agree with the whole thing, and we're not going to adopt it as our worldview, but we think it's a useful tool that we might could use to, to measure things in our church. Now, what's the obvious answer to that? <laughs> What is the one tool that a church should ever use to measure anything within the church? It's the scriptures. It's the scriptures. We have the Bible. The Bible tells us what we need to know about those things. We don't need a philosophy. Uh, so what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? The, the answer is it shouldn't have anything to do in that sense. Um, the only sense it does is that we do live in in the world and and we do have to address these things which is why we're doing this tonight so then the question becomes so is it possible for the church to just keep the good parts and get rid of the rest so you've heard the the thing you, you eat the meat and you spit out the bones right there were some people who thought that's really what the church should do you eat the meat you spit out the bones so the one of the people inside so patricia hill collins she is a crt proponent this is what she says. No, you cannot bring the two worlds together. You must be oppositional. You must fight. For me, it's a line in the sand. In other words, you can't mix Christianity and CRT. Now, she's not on, she's not on the Christian side. She's on the CRT side, and she's telling you you can't mix the two things. They're completely incompatible. There's no way that we can, can square the two. So the truth is that these theories, CRT and intersectionality, are incompatible with biblical truth and a Christian worldview. So now we're going to go we got like three points here really quick. We're going to start comparing Scripture with, with what CRT says, and we'll see why it is that this is a big deal. The Gospel says, Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Jew, Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. CRT says there's black, Hispanic, native, Asian, white, male, female, Additionally, there's also, in addition to that, LGBTQ+. Furthermore, there's also Hispanic, transgender, doc, undocumented, bisexual. You see what we did there on the end? That's intersectionality. That's one person who could be all those different things. And we, if we don't recognize them in that way, then we're oppressive. But the Bible says you don't recognize them in that way. They're made in the image of God. So... 
Gospel says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and, so, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. CRT says you're never forgiven your debts. Never. You cannot be forgiven of your debts. If you're an oppressor, you're an oppressor forever. You can get up and apologize. really means nothing. Uh, if you begin as an oppressor, you're perpetually an oppressor. If you begin as a victim, you cannot overcome. That's the saddest part of this to me. That's, that's the idea, is that if you identify as an oppressed person, so there's not a lot of those in here tonight, um, but for all you women that are in the building tonight, you can be considered an oppressed person. So for you, as an oppressed woman in America today, you have no hope of not being oppressed. Whether you recognize it, don't recognize it, whether you believe it, don't believe it, it does not matter. You're an oppressed person, and everything you do and are is tied to that. Uh, if you begin as a victim, you cannot overcome. Uh, in every aspect of your life, it will affect it. And confession is a lose-lose. I told you all about this last time. There were pastors who actually got up in the pulpit and confessed to being um, racist, to being oppress oppressors of people, to being oppressed. And I think they thought by doing that that, they would be absolved, and they would be part of the new culture. And all it did was make it worse. It's just, well, yep, you're right, you're an oppressor, and you can't do anything about it, so you need to just resign. Uh, it didn't really go the way that they wanted it to go. So the gospel says all scripture is given, anybody finish that one, by inspiration, you know, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, and the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. We know that passage. What does CRT say? It says knowledge and authority belong only to oppressed groups. Privileged groups cannot understand individual truths. So you can't even understand it. This one was really scary. I found this one on a CRT website. Portions of the Bible are disqualified as a reliable reference as its authors and translators exclude women and people of color. So what are they saying there? They're... They're really saying something interesting. They're saying that, number one, people wrote the Bible, not God. And then number two, even if it was translated by a white male, that makes it irrelevant. Then, it was, then they're sneaking in their oppression into the scriptures. Here's another evidence of that. Dr. Esau McCauley, a question I can't stop. This was a tweet that he sent out, by the way. A question I can't stop asking. If all translation is interpretation and interpretation is influenced by social location, what does it mean that most of our English Bibles were translated with very few black or other Christians of color or women involved? So what's he trying to do there? He's trying to get you to question the scriptures. He's trying to say, hey, you can't depend on the Bible. It was written by oppressors. So if you're an oppressed person, don't believe the Bible. Don't believe what those Christians are telling you. That, that's a skewed document um, because of who it was written by. Now, of course, there's multiple problems there. Um, all translation is interpretation. We don't, we don't believe that the Bible is an interpretation. We believe it's the word of God. Now, we have um, the Bible in our language that is an interpretation, but we believe the original manuscripts were the breathed word of God. So a lot of problems with that. Last, last one. So if you hold on, I made it only five minutes over, I think. This is the last slide. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and I've got reverse cultural hegemony. So what does that mean? Well, we'll get to it in just a second. Let's, let's read the quote first, and then we'll go back to it. What comes to pass, and this is our, our friend, Antonio Gramsci. Um, this is something that he said 
And the way he meant it, I want to apply it in a different way. So let's read it first, and then we'll, we'll do the application. What comes to pass does not, not so, does so not so much because of a few people want it to happen as because the mass of citizens abdicate their responsibility and let things be. So here, here's his intention in saying this. He's talking about cultural hegemony. He's saying, hey, if you're, just, if you're an oppressed person and you just allow the society to remain, and it becomes normal to you and you don't do anything about it, then that's why things happen is because people don't do anything. See, I'm going to flip that around and say he's right in one sense. So if we as Christians just allow this culture to keep going down this road and keep beginning to define what's real in American society and American culture, we're going to get what we ask for. I mean, he is right about that. What comes to pass does so, not so much. Have you ever heard the quote about um, it's not, you know, what you do, it's, what, it's not just the things that you do, it's what you allow? That's, that's really what he's talking about here. So reverse cultural hegemony. 2 Timothy 2.2, if you remember that scripture, that talks about where Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, the things that I've taught to you, you pass on to others and you continue to do that and it goes on and on and on down through the generations. It's a generational verse. Well, reverse cultural hegemony means that, yes, that's a good thing, that we should this should be a concern to us. This should be something that we fight against as the church. Uh, we should speak into our society and say that these things are not right. So when it comes to race and the church, really the, the point that I would want to make from the Bible is it shouldn't be an issue. So CRT says you should make it an issue in your church. You should make this an issue. You should start doing quotas. You should you know, have programs in your church based on race and, and all of those things. And I believe that that's completely counter to what the gospel says. The gospel says that we are all equal before our Savior. And, and so that is what, I, you know, we would want to focus on in our church is that we're uh, people who really believe in equality, who really believe that God created all people in the image of God. Now, I was going to leave about five, ten minutes for questions at the end, and I'm ten minutes over. So... If you have a question, a big one, um, if not, we can just do them later. But it's something that you think everybody might be thinking, I would absolutely take it. Any big questions? It's a lot of information <laughs> at one time. I know it is. I do think it's really important. I'm glad we were able to do the study. Um, I, I, I think what will happen, same thing that happened to Becca and I, we went to this conference probably been a year ago. Um, and then I've studied it some more since, kind of unpacked some of the things and, and got some other resources. But since then, I've, I've started noticing more. You'll start seeing, now that you know the terminology and now that you see this, you know, when you watch the news next week and when you see what's going on in the culture around you, you'll start saying, oh, wait a minute. You know, I see what's happening. And I think that's good for us and definitely to teach our children what is the truth of the scriptures versus these philosophies of men. Hope those things were a blessing to you.